Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dr. Elizabeth Englander, a professor of psychology at Bridgewater State University. She's also an author, most recently of 25 Myths About Bullying and Cyberbullying and When the Kids Come Back. And she joins us to share some timely, important, and supportive information. Dr. Elizabeth Eglinder, good morning. It is really so great to have you join us this morning. Well, thanks for having me. This is such an incredible time. We're together this morning to talk about your latest book, 25 Myths About Bullying and Cyberbullying, and we're cyberbullying because we're on, our kids are on the computers so much. And now with school, in most cases being remote learning, so kids are on the computers a lot more, it it just really seems uh, so complicated. Absolutely. It's a very, very complicated time. And um, I just think that uh, this is a time when parents really need help in coping with issues like how are they going to help their children socially during the pandemic, as well as how are they going to avoid problems like cyberbullying, which we're getting a lot of um, a lot of uh, questions about in, in the lab and, and from other sources. And so we know that it's probably increasing during this time. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, that I wanted to address it. I should also mention, just as an aside, that we also put out uh, another book on Amazon, which is sort of goes with the book 25 Myths About Bullying and Cyberbullying. And it's a book designed to help parents cope with the COVID crisis and getting back to school. And it's called When the Kids Go Back. And, I d- and it's yeah. a resource there as well. Which is excellent. Not having children at home to deal with schooling and their education. On the one hand, I can be really enthusiastic thinking, wow, there's so many great opportunities. But I'm not right there in the trenches, so to speak. And so parents really have a lot to deal with, with that singular situation. But then if they're working as well, parents really have a big job. Absolutely. And what if you have a child who has special needs? Yes. And you're having to try to teach them as well. I mean, it's difficult enough trying to keep typical kids on task, trying to keep up with their schoolwork. Um, Maybe you're trying to get them ready to go back to school physically and you're not sure how to handle that. Maybe you're worried about, you know, their socializing and what they've been doing online with their friends. Um, This is a lot to juggle. So it's probably good to say at the outset, parents, take heart. You're doing the best you can and uh, acknowledge yourselves for what you're doing. Absolutely. And actually, I think one of the most important things to do is for all of us to realize that this is a crisis. And it, it sometimes you sort of lose track of something when it's a crisis that's been going on for a while. But it is still a crisis that we're in, and we all have to cut ourselves a little bit of slack. Nobody's done this before. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. And uh, I think it's really important not to, you know, try and compare yourself to other people or feel bad like you're not measuring up. But just everybody's going to have to do the best they can. And schools are going to realize that when kids come back, they're going to be in different places. And they're going to have to adjust to that reality. So really all of us 
wanting to, we need to embrace having uh, much more compassion and understanding, uh, allowing for a lot of flexibility, being agile with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think taking care of yourself and taking care of your own mental health is really important because, um, you know, our kids really need us right now. And so you can't help them if, if you're not in good shape yourself. So whatever you need to do to, to get yourself through this, um, I think that's what we all have to do. And we may have to, you know, adjust our expectations, it, you know, if you have a child who is learning to play the piano, they they may not make it to Carnegie Hall in a year. <laughs> you know, maybe things are going to have to be ratcheted back a little bit. But that's okay because everybody is having to, to slide back a little bit. Everybody's in the same boat. Remember that. And, um, you know, we're all sort of figuring out how to deal with this. And, you know, we really need to just help each other with it, I think. And to want to have this time conform to what we had a year ago or five years ago and and what grades meant and what uh, reaching a certain milestone meant, all of that, we need to just kind of push off to the side, don't you? Isn't that what you think? I do think. I do think so. And um, I think we're going to have to uh, just um, try to remove some of the stressors that you might have been able to deal with at an earlier time. So. It may be that, you know, a year ago, it was stressful to help your child with their physics homework, but you found ways to do it because it was really important to you. Well, it may be that this year other things are going to be important, and we're all going to have to adjust to that new reality. And it's really, really important to pay attention to things that you may not have paid attention to in the past, like uh, your own mental health and giving yourself a break and um, making sure that you have some time for yourself. And parents feel very guilty about this, in, in my experience. And we're really getting a lot of questions about that, where parents are saying things like, I don't know if I could take another <laughs> school year of this. But I also want to remind people that, you know, schools are more prepared this time around. Remember that last spring, everything hit the schools. Nobody was prepared for anything. But this year, we have been working with schools all summer long to help them try to prepare. And so everybody is really, really working hard. Most teachers I know are really doing a great job adjusting everything. So that is heartening. Not that we want this to continue in this way, but one part of it that I I think could be positive is that there are kids, there are students who really learn better this way, that the classroom environment is not so great for them. So there are some who are probably feeling very good about this. Oh, absolutely. And children who have been chronic victims of bullying may be perfectly happy learning at home. They may feel much more comfortable and much better prepared They may feel like they can concentrate better. They may feel like they can learn better. I mean, one of the good things I think about a social thing like a pandemic is it really forces you to shake things up and to rethink how you do things. So, you know, for example, a lot of people who have had to go to the doctor during the pandemic have had to do it online where they have a sort of a teleconference with their doctor instead of going in person. Maybe we'll find out that that's a really cost-effective and and reasonable way to do things if it's just a routine checkup, you know, where you don't need much. Um, 
schools may find that there are certain topics that can be taught online and that we don't need uh, we don't need to do things uh, in a, the way we've always done them. Now, I, I do know that not going to school is very difficult on children, and it's very difficult on parents, too. I think it's important to remember that. But you're right. There, is, there are some kids who do just fine at home. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of heartening to see that, isn't it? That, that it's, not, it's not all a catastrophe yes. <laughs> and that we can learn how to cope. Exactly. And I think to keep that coping element uh, in mind as we go along, and as you said, not, you know, this is a new thing, not feeling like we have to do it perfectly, because what is that? Whatever we're doing, think of that as being, this is perfect for right now. Exactly. And everybody's doing their best. I really do think people are working very, very hard. You know, we um, put forward when we uh, put together that material, when the kids come back, we had over 600 people sign up for a webinar. And that's really encouraging because it means that people are really trying hard. They want to learn. They want to do a good job. And as long as we all cut ourselves a little bit of slack and realize it's not going to be perfect, but we're really going to work on it, then I think we're going to, I think this fall is going to be much better. Now, we really don't know what's going to happen with the virus, right? So we don't know what things are going to be like. But I think that um, we're much better prepared now than we were in the spring. I think that's a big difference. Yes, certainly we know that our communities, our schools and business partners are all trying to work together to come up with the best solution for the times. And so that is definitely heartening. Um, The thing that maybe is the challenging piece here, so going to the title of the book, 25 Myths About Bullying and Cyberbullying, Cyberbullying. The kids are doing classes on computers. Does this make it make them more vulnerable? Probably it does. So I don't think anybody's done any actual research during the pandemic to see if rates of bullying or rates of cyberbullying increased. But I do think that it's a pretty reasonable assumption. We have had, you know, um, parents report to us that their kids have been targeted and. Uh, it seems it seems likely that it went up. Um, but having said that, I don't think that um, I don't think that we necessarily saw anything catastrophic. Like, you know, we didn't see rampant problems that were really obvious. Nothing like that. So I think that that is heartening. But I do think that it's really important to focus on kids and their social skills because. That's really something that could, in the long term, bite them. And when children don't have the opportunity to socialize in person, they really can't build those social skills. So we have to try to be creative and think of ways to help them with that. And so we need to find ways for them to be somewhere in spaces, safely in spaces, where they are able to have some sort of connection and perhaps engage in some kind of sport or uh, do something together, right? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've been telling parents all summer is that let kids go outside and socialize with their friends. You know, the risk of socializing outside, as long as you keep a reasonable distance apart and everybody wears masks, 
you know, the risk of that is, is not particularly great. And kids can talk to their friends. They can take a walk, you know, together. They can go look at things at downtown. There's all kinds of things that kids can do outside. And I think it's really helpful. The other thing that I think is really helpful is for parents, as much as they're able to, to sort of seize on opportunities to build social skills. So things like eating dinner together, eating breakfast together, having meals together without screens, um, you know, talking when you're in the car, any face-to-face interactions that help your child build social skills in the long term are going to help them because someday we're going to get out of this. I mean, I realize right now it doesn't feel like that, (laughs) but someday we will get out of this. And when we do, we want our kids to sort of be positioned to begin to make up lost time. And certainly, as you point out about having mealtimes together, that is something that we can, in many cases, I won't say all, because we have our essential workers and that's a whole other Mm -hmm. dynamic that's going on. But in many cases, that is, um, parents are at home working remotely and, and able to then have meals and do that away from any kind of technology so you can have that real FaceTime together. Absolutely. The trick, though, really is to let go of the technology. And that means everyone has to let go of it, the parents, too. And sometimes that's hard to do. So, you know, you don't answer the house phone and you don't, you know, you don't keep your cell phone right next to your plate at the table. And one of the interesting things we found um, in our research is that kids who have dinner, regular dinner with their families, are significantly less likely to become involved in cyberbullying or in traditional bullying for that matter. And it doesn't even matter how much their families quarrel, which was kind of funny. Uh, We asked them when they had dinner with their families if they argued a lot. And some of the kids said, yeah, their their families tended to argue a lot. But even so, um, those kids were less likely to become involved in these problems. So it really does seem to pay off uh, in terms of their social skills, and I think that's and and their connection to their families. So, I think it's really worthwhile. I can see where having arguments has some value to it. You you learn how to articulate and how to think about uh, opposing ideas. Maybe even if you don't yeah. believe in them, right? It it's yeah, a skill. You learn how to stand your ground, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you learn how to how to handle, you know arguments and conflict and all that kind of thing. Sure. And, you know, in thinking about having technology around us, it's been a pet peeve and and I've had conversations with different guests on this very program about the fact that families, you see them in a restaurant uh, or somewhere out socially together, but no one's socializing. They're all on their own cell phones. So, you know, here we can put that aside and really spend time together. That's right. And, you know, I do want to say that I think that that tendency that we've all seen of people to just stare at their devices and ignore each other in public, I think that is starting to change. When I um, study young people now, a lot of them have are beginning to develop sort of a, an ethic or a Um, social rules around using things. And, uh, you know, the other day I have older kids and uh, a few months ago, um, or this must have been before the pandemic, we were at a 
a restaurant and my phone buzzed and I looked at the screen and all of my children said to me, stop that. You're at a table. Put it away right now. So <laughs> I really and I've seen that, too, in the kids who who, you know, we study as part of our research that they they really are beginning to develop ideas about how to live with technology. And so I think that's very optimistic. I think it's really positive And I'm really glad to see that happening. I think we're beginning to adjust. That is really great news. And we'll, it is. Yeah. It is great news. But it's, I think it's kind of inevitable, too. You know, usually societies adjust. I mean, big changes happen, and we figure out how to live with them. And um, so it's kind of nice, though, to see that the kids are really, they, they really pick up on this and you know, they don't fight it. And uh, they fight it a little bit more when they're younger teenagers, we find. So if you have a 14-year-old, for example, you may be more likely to see a 14-year-old who doesn't ever want to put down their device or, um, you know, feels really weird about putting it down or hasn't developed these these sort of um, ethics yet. But um, as they go through adolescence, we see more and more that kids really do begin to understand this is something we all have to live with and there have to be limits really wise and and it is great because i think we can see how there is that maturation and because they have essentially grown up with it for us as the adults it's kind of somewhat novel and uh, maybe we are the ones who are too hooked into it oh absolutely you know sometimes the the problems that we see in the research really are more about older people in their 40s and 50s who are adopting technologies but haven't really learned some of the nuances around it. So they may, for example, ignore a child, you know, who's trying to get their attention in favor of technology. And some research out of Boston Medical Center found this several years ago. They went around and observed families in restaurants uh, to see if they were ignoring their children and if the children were behaving badly as a result. And, uh, you know, so it was only a matter of time, I think, before people began to say, wait a minute, we need some rules, some social rules about how to live with technology. And so I'm sort of hopeful that when the pandemic is over and we're able to do research looking back on issues like cyberbullying or social problems and how they happened, that we'll find that, um, you know, kids still retained some of these these rules about how to handle things. I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's overnight and I don't think it's instant, but um, we're, we're looking at, we're looking for changes, sort of social changes in how kids look at these problems. And, and we do see them beginning to happen, which is really heartening. Which is great. And finding the balance, as you mentioned, for instance, with having medical appointments um, in a virtual setting. Uh, I attended one where my husband had had an appointment, and I thought it was really excellent. The doctor seemed to spend really more time and had access to be able to show uh, other files or screenshots Whereas when it's in person, it seems to be just so much more regimented and, and constrained by time. So uh, hopefully yeah. that'll maybe help. Maybe we're going to find, you know, maybe we're going to find that some things are better. Um, you know, I don't know anything really about business, but 
Uh, there have been some stories that there are some businesses discovering that they don't really need offices, that they, you know, that, that people can work at home. Think for many people, life would actually in the long term be much easier if their children go to school, but they're working at home. You know, you wouldn't have all the stressors. I can tell you as a parent myself, if you have children, uh, you know, who go to school or are in daycare and you're one of them gets sick or something happens to the schedule, it's extremely stressful. It really is. But if you, everybody was working at home or a lot more people had careers at home, it might be much less stressful. So, you know, it's not unremittingly horrible, <laughs> I guess is my point. And I think schools are beginning to develop ways to cope with things. But I do want to say that I think that we all have to be prepared you know, I, I really think we all have to think about how are we going to handle the fall? How are we going to handle school? How are we going to handle social relationships? Um, you know, what are we going to do if our kids are cyberbullied? How are we going to handle these things? Exactly. And that's why having these kinds of conversations to bring awareness to where there are good resources and here again, you know, we're going to go back to p partly the web because you did mention, uh, Dr. Englander, the webinar that you had around the book, uh, helping uh, uh, when the kids go back. And mm -hmm. by the way, is that available as as one of the um, a, a link or a, an yes, audio? It's, it's available. Both books are available um, on uh, Amazon. And so all you really have to do is, is look up my name, Elizabeth Englander, and I have an author page there, and you'll see my books there. And um, the idea is that when the kids come back, is more specific about how are we going to adjust to this fall and the return of school. And 25 Myths About Bullying and Cyberbullying is a little more general about what you might believe about bullying or cyberbullying and how that might sort of hang you up because one of the really big problems in this field is that things have changed so dramatically in this generation that there were things that might have been true for you as a child or me that aren't true any longer today. And unless you understand this, you could actually make things worse for your child if they are targeted. So the idea of the 25 Myths book is to really help people get past those myths and function, you know, and, and really help their kids cope in a more positive way. And we're all for that. Again, making <laughs> making life as easy or relatively easier. Uh, right. Yeah. And then in, um, mm -hmm. on your website, so that is your name, except that we put last name first. Well, uh, actually, that's just a forwarding mechanism. You can type in ElizabethEnglander.com, and that goes right to my website as well. So, Oh, good. Um, yeah, either one works. And uh, you can find information there. There are also a lot of downloads for parents um, that you can just download from that website. They're all free. And they're just things like conversation starters. How do you talk to your kids? about issues like if they are being targeted online. So if your child is being cyberbullied and what do you do about it? And do you talk to the school and what do you tell the school? And what can the school do? Uh, these kinds of issues are, are all really, they can be overwhelming and it's very emotional when your child's being targeted. So 
um, I wanted to give parents really concrete uh, resources so that, you know, they could just turn to this and say, okay, here's the first thing to ask, you know, here's the next thing to ask. And, um, and all of those resources are there online and anybody can download them. And one of the things that would came out at me was how um, we we have sadly the victim, the bully too, in their own way, is also a kind of victim. Something's going on for, to cause them to be this way, and to to it's important to br- really bring all that um, what the attention or the spotlight forward on that to get help on both sides. Absolutely. You know, children act out like this. They do cruel things to people as a way of engaging adults. So when you're a human child, you are hardwired when you're having a problem to try to get adults to pay attention to you and to focus on what you're struggling with. And the way they do that is sometimes positive and sometimes negative. But when they're acting out like that, that's what's going on. So, you know, it's really easy to lose sight of this. And, you know, if your child's being uh, targeted, it's totally natural for you to not feel terribly sympathetic to a really mean kid who is making their lives miserable. Um, But, you know, just strictly from sort of a psychological point of view, it is true that children who are acting out like that are doing it because they're they need something and they're not getting it and they are they are hardwired now unfortunately for these kids you know their their temperament or or their learning is such that they're picking a really negative way to try to engage adults attention but um, some kids do it in a positive way and they they get much better results but it is still true that, that that's what they're doing. And by the way, I, you know, one of the things I, I often hear from parents is, well, if this child wants attention, then we shouldn't give it to him, you know, because he's using a negative way to get attention. It, that's true when you have a child who's generally well-behaved and you're just trying to teach them to, you know, to try to get your attention in a positive way. That's true. You don't always want to respond if they're negative. But for a child who's really troubled and is really trying to reach out to adults to say, I need something here, I need help, um, giving them attention is exactly the right thing to do because that's what they need. That you know, It's not going to stop until they get what they need. And to have that awareness and then to really get uh, in- engaged conversations uh, with the teachers, with the school system to really come up with solutions and and ideally come to harmony. Right. right. Well, you know, hopefully, I mean, you do want to involve the school, even if it's a problem that's happening online, because one of the things that we do know, and this is one of the myths I talk about in the book, is, you know, it's often true that if it's happening in online, it'll also be happening in school in person. This is even true for the pandemic. So, for example, if your child is being targeted during this pandemic online, then when they do go back to school, it's, there's a very good chance that it's going to follow them there. 
And so you want the school to know about this because you want the school to be your ally. You want the school to help you out. So you want to let them know that this is happening and you're very concerned and show them what's happening. Schools can't, you know, they can't stop Instagram from publishing things. They, you know, they don't control social media. Um, But what they can do is they can keep an eye on the situation that's happening in school and they can be a really critical support system for your child. So, you know, any child who's feeling targeted, who's worried that no one's on their side, think how comforting it is to have a school where, you know, for example, the school nurse says to you, anytime you want to talk to me, you just come into my office. It's totally fine. And I'll always be here to talk to you. And, you know, or the, or the, the assistant principal says that or anybody. It, it's just it makes the child feel like the adults are on their side and they understand that there's a problem going on. Parents often want these problems to be like stopped immediately and fixed yesterday. And I completely understand that feeling. But sometimes really the best thing to do is to really help support kids so that they know that whatever a bully is saying to them isn't true. So prove to them that they're really loved and cared for, that they have friends, that they have interests, and whatever this person is saying to them isn't true. And when we, when we look at the research, that's what kids say is most helpful. So, uh, you know, it, it, really, it really makes sense to pay attention to the research on this when you're trying to think of how to help kids. Exactly. Well, this has definitely been so much great information. I think we need to refer our listeners back to one, your webpage, because there's so such a wealth of information, as well as both books uh, information, 25 Myths mm-hmm. About Bullying and Cyberbullying and When the Kids Come Back. So the website is? ElizabethEnglander.com. And there are people who really like to follow on Twitter. So you have that as well. Yes, uh, E.K. Englander. And my Twitter handle is on my webpage. So if you go there, you can easily find it there or just, just Google me and you should find it. Terrific. Well, this has been terrific. I just so greatly appreciate Obviously, you have such a passion. It really conveys itself through all that you say, Dr. Englander, and uh, providing all this great information in different formats for us. I really do appreciate you. Thank you for spending time with us this morning. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Elizabeth Englander and Sunday Morning Magazine with Rebecca Meyer. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your having shared this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage and click on the podcast tab. Then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of good and open connection with those close to us. Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.